Hello, and welcome to The Hump with Katie Thoreau. I'm your host, Katie Thoreau, and I've got an amazing episode for you today. This is part one of a new series I'm calling The Next Generation. If you're new to The Hump, this is a series where I'm interviewing some of the world's greatest artists and musicians and finding out why are they so amazing, how did it happen, really what was their journey, and what can we learn from them. We've already had some fantastic guests like Rufus Reed, Derek Hodge, Christian McBride, Justin Coughlin, and so many others. You can find all of these episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and you can see them on YouTube. So go follow, download, subscribe, leave a comment, and let me know who you want to hear from next. Before I bring you this great interview today, I would love to thank our sponsors. And first up, we have the clothing company Jams World. Now you might be thinking, what does clothing have to do with music? Well, for me, comfort is everything. And when I'm wearing Jams World, I know I'm gonna stay cool and comfortable because it's made from 100% spun crushed rayon. And I love the artwork. It's real artwork that's screen printed right onto the fabric. It's so unique. You guys, I'm wearing my Jams World right now. Not a day goes by that I don't wear Jams World. And they're offering our listeners a 15% online discount. Go to jamsworld.com and use the promo code JAZZ15 and you'll get 15% off your entire purchase. That's jamsworld.com. Our next sponsor is Colstein. You guys, I love Colstein String Shop. They have two amazing locations in Long Island, New York, and an incredible online store. You can get everything from strings to rosin, bass bib, music, end pins. They really do it all. And if you go into the store, they're so knowledgeable, so kind and friendly. They're offering our listeners a 10% discount. Go to Colstein.com and use the promo code KD10, and you'll get 10% off your entire purchase. That's Colstein.com. I'm so excited to bring you our episode today. It's part one of a new series that I'm calling The Next Generation. And no, that's not a Star Trek reference, but I love that and we can totally go there. So maybe that'll be a whole new series on the hump. So what do I mean by next generation? Well, today I'm bringing you three conversations with three very different and very talented bass players who are still studying in school. We've got Dan McCain, who's a senior at the University of the Arts in Philadelphia, Molly Redfield, who's pursuing her doctoral degree in Las Vegas, and then we've got Peter Willems, all the way in the Netherlands, studying conservatory. I really just wanted to find out their journeys up to this point and what is it like being a student in today's climate, not just with all the technology and social media, But what is it like going to school to study music during COVID and being online and learn what have their struggles been, what have they learned, and what's been good about this time? Okay, I'm going to stop yapping and bring you this interview already. So let's go. But I just want to get behind the scenes of Dan. And um, (laughs) just, you're a fantastic bass player. Are you a junior or a senior in in university? I'm a junior now, yeah. Okay, cool. And... Let's give a shout out to your school, if you want. <laughs> yeah, um, University of the Arts. Um, honestly, killing the uh, virtual learning game. Really? I, I gotta, I gotta say, yeah. That's good to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the whole music program. Um, I mean, we were all really, obviously, really nervous about how it would be online, but I think they've been doing a really good job keeping up. You know, like making sure we're all still motivated yeah. and all still working really hard musically. Oh, good. Are they, I know, but are they respecting your workload, though? Um, In the music department, (laughs) definitely. Um, A lot of the gen eds kind of overcompensate a little bit with with work, but I think that goes for for a lot of places. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Some of my students, they're like, oh, I have like 10 essays to write this week. And yeah, I don't know, maybe teachers are assigning more with the 
like knowing that no one's going to get everything done, but they'll get something done. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. I just wanted to learn a little bit about how you started playing bass. Did you grow up right in Philadelphia? I did. Yeah. Uh, born, raised. <laughs> nice. I know that's like, I'm, I'm actually from Los Angeles, grew up and that's not common. So that's cool. Um, so what was your first experience with the bass? Um, so it was actually kind of weird because I went to, um, I went to an arts high school, uh, Benjamin Rush. Mm-hmm. And, um, I actually started there as a visual art major. Um, and I'd been doing art for a long time at that point. And something about the art program there and just like the idea of doing it as a career just didn't really stick to me the way I thought it would. Mm. So, but, um, I didn't want to leave the school. So I knew I had to be some sort of arts major there. So, um, I saw the orchestra and I was really, uh, I was really inspired by that. So I went up to the instrumental teacher and I actually asked if I could be a percussionist because I played like a a small amount of drums and I Mm -hmm. figured I could pick up percussion. And I mean, like most schools, he told me there were too many percussionists. He didn't want to take any more. And he said, uh, pick an instrument that we don't have a lot of. So Mm -hmm. French horn, bassoon, all those things and uh, double bass. And um, at that point, I played a little bit of guitar. So I'm like, okay, maybe bass won't be too weird Mm -hmm. maybe i can try that and um i started taking lessons at the end of my freshman year and sophomore year is when i joined the instrumental department and that's when i started playing bass and you know throughout the rest of high school i ended up really liking it doing all sorts of different programs at my school like the all city jazz and all city orchestra uh the all the pmea stuff the orchestras and bands there and just fell in love with it, decided to make a career out of it. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, that's, I didn't know that's, I mean, you're, you're not a late starter. You started at the right time, but that's really cool. <laughs> I had no idea that you started when you were a teenager. Um, Cause you're, you're like technically really proficient on, on the instrument. Like it looks oh, well, like you've, you. you've been playing for a long time. Um, <laughs> so when you finally, uh, you know, you found the bass or the bass found you, were you excited to practice? Was that something that you were like into when you were in high school or, or did that come later? Or were you just like naturally like amazing? <laughs> well, I, I definitely put the work in. It actually wasn't until 11th grade that I decided I wanted to really do it. But um, while I was in 10th grade in the orchestra, I was intimidated by all the other players and I I knew I had to kind of be on par. Mm-hmm. So I really put all the work in. Um, I remember I would, uh, I didn't have my own bass, so I would come into uh, the school band room during lunch or during advisory or something and just practice. And I remember my fingers would like turn black mm-hmm. and get all blistery from, from practicing for so long. Um, and my in 10th grade, my mom bought me uh, my first electric bass and I would kind of hold it sideways like mm-hmm. an upright to practice all my orchestra parts and uh, <laughs> while I was at home. That's cool. And, well, and, and growing up in Philadelphia, um, did you get to, I mean, there's great orchestras there and, and I mean, what a, like a hotbed of like jazz musicians too, from way back when. So were you exposed to music, you know, on the outside? Oh yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I think every second of my life uh, from then to now was just music, mm-hmm. whether it was playing or listening. 
Um, like I said, I was in the All City Orchestra, which works a lot with the Philadelphia Orchestra. Uh, our director was Joseph Conyers, and he was the, if anyone who doesn't know, was the uh, associate principal double bass. And uh, I did a lot of work with him, studied with him for a little bit. And we got to do a lot of side-by-side stuff mm-hmm. with the Philly Orchestra, with like master classes and sectionals and stuff like that. That's so cool because at that age, um, your perspective, it's like it's not so like broad yet, but you're getting to sit next to these people who are, that's their profession, like this is all they do, and you're getting to like see it and feel it and be right next to it. That must have been amazing. Right, yeah, it really was. Yeah, so like for you to like go in and continue to, to study music was like, no big deal. I'm, I'm exposed to it. You know, these great people are doing it. Um, and did you have, um, at your high school, was there like a group of kids that you guys practiced or you guys hung out or like, I don't know, well, by that point you guys are like exchanging MP3s, not CDs or anything. <laughs> uh, but did you have like a group of, of friends where you guys were like, you know, jazz nerds or music nerds? Oh yeah. We would, uh, we'd be the ones who got to school early and just, uh, sat outside the band room until the teacher got there to unlock it. And then we'd walk in and practice. We'd just be talking about music all the time, sharing albums, uh, talking about songs, practicing together, all that kind of stuff. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Um, and were you studying privately? I know you worked with Joseph Conyers, but did you have some private teachers in high school? Uh, so many. Um, since I went to an art school, we had uh, we had instrumental teachers for each like different grouping of instruments. So like we had a string teacher, uh, brass teacher, stuff like that. So um, we had a upper strings teacher and a lower strings teacher, uh, and he was my private bass teacher all during high school. And he's the one who got me started on bass, got me all my techniques up, got me really into jazz. Uh, really encouraged me and pushed me to pursue jazz and actually pers- uh, pushed me to go to UART specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then I had, I was involved in a lot of different programs that all gave me lessons, so and mm-hmm. free lessons too, which I'm really grateful for. Uh, I did the, there was a program at Temple. I think uh, Christian McBride actually did it too. I'm not sure. I know he did the uh, community orchestra, but they had a community music scholars mm-hmm. and, uh, I was part of that program. I was part of their, they had a little, uh, jazz big band thing that they did and they had lessons and music theory classes too, which was my first exposure to, uh, learning music theory, like in a classroom setting, mm-hmm. which was really great. And then like getting into jazz, do you remember, um, because I had this moment too, like when you're someone kind of, it's hard to explain, like when someone's explaining it to you, but like when you get to the point when it's like, okay, we don't read music, um, either you memorize it or you see a chord and you, you know, you learn what a bass line is. Like, do you kind of remember going through that? It's it's weird because I feel like I kind of did all that out of order because um, my beginning steps to playing jazz was all big band setting Mm -hmm. so it was always like reading and usually written out bass lines too um and i remember the first times i would get 
uh, charts that were just changes, I'd be scared because I'd never had to improvise my own baseline. But as I did more charts like that, and as I started doing small group gigs where it was, uh, we weren't reading, or if we were reading, it would just be like an original lead sheet of just changes. Mm -hmm. um, I got more familiar with kind of just using my ears and more with improvising and all sorts of stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I can. It's like I, we all have that that moment. It's like, oh, there's because I came from a classical background, too. It's like I got to read music. Right. You know. Right. Yeah. And then you kind of like you look back at it later and you're like, wow, it's almost like magic. How, how you know, all these bass players from Ray Brown and earlier and then then on, like, you know, they came up with all this. It's so cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, OK, so what is it like? So you got into to U of A. Uh, how competitive I don't I actually don't know too much about that program but is it a is it a big program or it's actually a really uh, kind of a smaller program not really competitive which at first I was a little hesitant about because there's always that like oh it's like it's got to be a battle if you're not like constantly yeah. fighting everybody it's not real music but um, the thing I like about UArts is that since it's so small it, it's more intimate Mm -hmm. really kind of friendly almost all the students really just encourage each other in music where there is always that kind of friendly competition where mm -hmm. we kind of push each other but it's not like oh but, i hope like someone's walking down the hall i hope dan breaks his hand or something like right it's not like there's that. No, i mean every once in a while you get the guy who's like i wish he would drop out of the band so i could do it but like it mm -hmm. 99 percent of the time it's super encouraging especially with the uh, rhythm section players. I don't. I don't know what it is. We're just like all super friendly with each other and kind of just encouraging each other. Love that. Um, so there's not like one bass spot available, that type of a thing. There, there is. I mean, with our big band and with our transfusion ensemble, it's kind of it's one bass player per and two drummers per. But um. Our programs are so the there's only nine bass players there right now. Oh, cool! And we're you know, kind of all that's nice too because you guys you can really get to know everybody. Exactly. Yeah. And we all kind of know each other, so when it's like, oh, they got the spot, congrats! We're all really happy for them. It's not really like a, oh man, I really wanted that. Yeah. Like you might feel like that for a second, but we're all really happy to encourage our friends. That's cool. It kind of builds nice character, like going on further in life. You know. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you from experience. Um, and so you mentioned at the beginning that U of A has been U of A. Yeah. Sounds like I'm saying B of A, like Bank of America. U of A has been great. Um, you said they've been doing great f during COVID for, for the students. Right. Yeah. So what's been so great about that? Because, yeah, I really have some students that they just lost complete interest in going to school. Yeah. Well, um, definitely, definitely with lessons. I mean, just the fact that we're forced to record ourselves all the time, <laughs> it really just kind of opens your eyes, opens your ears to um, how you're playing. And um, especially for me, I think the visual aspect, um, freshman, sophomore year, I would always look at videos of myself, look at me playing, and it always just kind of looks too crazy or too uncomfortable and now that I've been recording myself, I'm able to kind of see what I look like, see any issues in my playing, mm -hmm. and um, just try to look more presentable when I'm playing, too. I mean, that's really a struggle, I think, yeah. for bass players. 
And also, as far as music classes, in our musicianship class, um, we kind of took this semester to work more on like composing and using more ideas. Uh, and we were able to, through Zoom and everything, just kind of easily share all our work, which was really cool, really interesting. We've never had a class like that where it was mm -hmm. just every week write and share. Yeah, that is cool. Um, yeah, kind of like a, you have to prepare something every week. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so are you missing the college experience? I don't know. I mean, going to music school isn't like a normal college experience anyways, but yeah. how, has it been like really different from the year, year before? Um, it has in a lot of ways, uh, especially as far as practicing, you know, when you're, I was just talking to my friend about this actually, but something about just being in a practice room mm -hmm. and just feeling in that space kind yeah. of forces you to practice. But meanwhile, I'm in my room and I'm like, oh, my bed is right here. Mm -hmm. I could take a five hour break to take yeah. a nap. Like, <laughs> but when you're in a practice room and uh, especially one with no windows and you can't see how dark or how light it is outside, you're just like, there's nothing but the music right now. There's nothing but practice True. right here. Yeah, I know. And I remember even that going to Berkeley. I loved those like just like the crappy practice room, like you're saying, there's no window. And then you'd even have to be like, okay, let me plan out my bathroom break because I'm going to practice for two hours. And the bathroom's like, you know, a mile away or something. Right. But yeah, the whole, the whole, like, yeah, it's scheduling of, of the practice room. Right. Yeah. And, and that too, the scheduling, because other people want that room. So you have to sign it out. Yeah. So if you only have it signed out for a certain amount of time, it's like, I've got to get all my practice done now. So you really have to work. Yeah, and then also like the culture of like listening in on like, oh, what are they, what are they doing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I hated, I hated that actually. I always, <laughs> I always put my base case up because there was a tiny window. I was like, I don't want anyone to see me. This is like my practice. Mm -hmm. um, last year was crazy with COVID, and then just the insane, I mean, the outpouring of racism. I mean, twenty twenty was crazy, and it's always been there. But so we don't have to talk about that if you don't want to. But I was curious from your perspective, going to school, like, how was that for you? Yeah, um, it was really interesting. I'm, it's, it was nothing new. Yeah. But um, just kind of the almost reestablishment of it mm -hmm. and just how free everyone felt mm -hmm. <laughs> about um how open people were about their opinions uh, on either side was just really shocking. I mm -hmm. feel like I, I've, I've never seen so many people, especially in the jazz setting, just be like openly racist, mm -hmm. <laughs> which was really interesting to see. And um, luckily, most people in my circle, in my friend group, we're all kind of on the same page. We're all trying to be as proactive as we can. Uh, but it's really weird because a lot of our families or a lot of people that were close to uh, in other areas, maybe like uh, in our families or at a church or somewhere, it, yeah. it gets a little <laughs> yeah. it gets a little uncomfortable with the uh, opposing views, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 2020. Well, and then recently, it's just weird. It got really weird, especially at the end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I'm so happy to see like 
you kept doing your thing and making music and practicing. Right. I think, I think with all everything going on between that and COVID and just other stuff I'm going through personally, really just kind of like transformed my idea of music and how I can use it. Mm -hmm. Because before all throughout high school, I've never really went through anything life changing. Mm -hmm. So all my music was kind of just flat and I would pretend it would have meaning, but it didn't. But now with everything going on, I'm actually working on an album based on everything I'm going through. And it's like there's just so much emotion being poured into it because I have all those experiences wrapped up into one year. And it's crazy. That's really cool because, um, I mean, that's a positive outcome, right? Of you mm -hmm. making music and being inspired. And I feel like in my, in my generation, um, growing up, like people really thought like, oh, um, to manufacture that, that feeling like, oh yeah. So like all these jazz musicians did drugs and you know, they were on a he like heroin and stuff. And so my friends were like doing that and I'm like, yo, yeah, no, we don't, I don't, we don't have to go there to, to make right. music. Let's so I, but I love like, it's like now you have this life experience. Uh, you didn't have to do anything crazy, um, to, to get there, but the, and now you're making music. That's why well, I can't wait to hear it. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Dan, I think I know maybe what your plans are after school, but like, what's your, what's your goal right now? My goal right now is to, um, is to teach really. Mm. At first I always said teach high school specifically. Now I'm a little more open to teaching younger kids, uh, middle school, even elementary school. And, um, my mom and I are working on trying to get a jazz kitchen going, so... <laughs> if yeah. we can get that play it could totally would... happen is does does your mom cook is that the deal she does cook yeah yeah and we have uh we're getting like menu ideas together it's it's pretty fun <laughs> it's gonna happen i can tell you that because that was my dream i love cooking and uh my dream was to because uh, i'm not stubborn but i was like okay i'm gonna have a, a club where you know we hire, hire a band and it's just whatever i cook that night you don't you don't say I want this or that. No gluten-free, mm. nothing. And um, <laughs> and so I was like, that was my dream. And then my friend owns a restaurant and he was like, hey, will you like book the music? So I didn't do the cooking, but it was that exact same thing. It was a prefix menu every night or every, we did a, one event a month and it was like, it came true. It totally came true. Oh, that's good. I didn't know that. That's yeah. so great. Yeah. So, but now, now my goal down the road is I'll do that myself. I'll, you know, cook whatever I want. You come in and then you know, there'll be music. Yeah. Oh, that'd be a, great. Do you have a name yet? Uh, we do. Uh, we want to, we want to call it the jazz John. Oh, okay. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I know. I think and we have a bunch of like John puns in the menu. It's, it's kind of ridiculous, but it's funny. John Belaya. Oh, that's funny. Oh, that's funny. I got to tell her that. I'm 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 going to probably be emailing you at all hours of the night cuz I I'm good at this and I like doing that stuff. Oh, please do. Yeah. Oh, that's really funny. <laughs> um, well cool. Thanks so much, Dan. I'm I'm not going to take any more of your time cuz you got to go practice, right? <laughs> right. Um, but this was really fun to get to learn a little bit more about you and growing up in Philadelphia and I'm really glad that U of A is doing good by you for um for studying so that's cool and uh whenever your record comes out I'll be sure to let everybody know 
Cool. Yeah. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks, Dan. Take care. Hey, you too. All Good right. to you. Bye. Hey, Molly. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. Uh, okay, so I'm just going to start at the beginning. And um, you grew up in Northern California, right? Yeah, I mean, I moved around a lot, actually. I, I was born in Reno. And uh, and then we went off to Arizona for a while. Uh, and then went to California. But yeah, most of my life was in California, for sure. Okay, and then how did the bass come into your life? Because I know there's like people have a bunch of different origin stories. But did you start on bass? Or was it violin or piano? I actually started on cello. So my my dad is a music educator. Um, he's the head of music education actually at Sacramento State. So he's now a professor of music. But when I was younger, he was a public school band teacher. And uh, he just really felt that his daughters needed to play music and that they needed to play string instruments because he thought that was like the best way for ear training. And so, yeah, I started cello actually at like right on the cusp of like four and five, wow. like right between there. I, I literally sat on a bucket because I was so small. <laughs> And uh, so I, I started on cello um, and was playing in a lot of orchestras. I got to study with some amazing teachers, but I just did not like the instrument. Like I was so bad at practicing it. I literally found out Suzuki gave you a tape, like CD old school, mm -hmm. that was just a cello player. And so I'd put that on and then I would air cello. So when my parents walked by, they thought I was practicing. I don't think I fooled them, but that's how desperate I was to wow. just not. Yeah. And so when we came to California, though, I was just entering into the eighth grade and uh, we moved into this like hotbed of jazz area. Uh, we moved to Folsom, California, and like jazz band is treated like all state, you know, insert football, baseball, basketball mm -hmm. team here. It's yeah. just as big. And it just so happens like the two greatest jazz programs uh, are like within 10 minutes of each other. So you have like Rio Americano and then you have Folsom and it's just down the freeway. And so in middle school, it's even like the cool thing to do. And for some reason, my middle school thought I was this bass player from Texas. I was not. I was a cellist from Arizona. But I was really encouraged to to go into the jazz band and play bass. I'd only had like maybe two lessons on bass prior. Um, but yeah, I was encouraged actually by my orchestra director to, to do it and did the audition somehow was accepted. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And the rest was just history. I mean, I, I just loved playing bass. I actually would practice it for hours mm -hmm. and it was just like the fit, you know, I just really found the joy from it. Oh, that's cool. It's, it's nice. You found something that you loved and yeah, I didn't realize you grew up there. Cause I, growing up in California, you would hear about those two schools and how, much of an influence it was on people who lived there so you had a lot of jazz going on it wasn't it wasn't hard to grasp what it was right yeah I mean I think looking back now I I'm in awe still like when I see those programs now it's just like I mean in middle school uh every trumpet player doubled on flugel mm -hmm. and every single woodwind player doubled on every single woodwind whether that be clarinet or flute I didn't know that that was rare. I didn't know that the fact I had to pick up a Godin fretless and a fretted bass and an upright in one set was abnormal. I just thought that's what you did. And, uh, you know, we, I think the coolest thing about that program is the exposure to different music. I mean, especially when I went on to high school uh, and playing with that top band, we would play uh, Jim McNeely charts, Maria mm -hmm. Schneider charts, and then turn around and play like a Thad chart and play a, a bassy chart. You know, it's just, it was such an eclectic program in the fact that I, 
at that age, you couldn't define truly what jazz was. Mm -hmm. You know, I played in the jazz band, but what that meant was just I got to play great music, you know. And uh, so, yeah, it it influenced my entire life in that area because of the uniqueness of the, you know, just having Rio down the way meant that at jam sessions, it was just it, it was so cool. You know, you just had all these players and, you know, Rio loves, you know, Ellington music. And so they just would kind of open your mind to a whole different side that maybe we didn't play as often, but, you know, you'd go to the jam and it'd be like, oh, okay, cool. That's in a whole nother subset, you know? Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I didn't know. So you guys were doing jam sessions. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And and that, I, it was a little hard. I, I grew up during the like 08 recession, you know, and um, the program was definitely fluctuating. I mean, when I started, there were four jazz bands. They traveled all over Europe. There were like three jazz choirs mm-hmm. that pared down to like three jazz bands and two jazz choirs, which is still insane. But, you know, the the kind of gig economy dropped too. But mm-hmm. we had this like coffee shop that turned into a bar at night, like classic Northern California vibe, mm-hmm. you know, like as hipster as you can get, I guess. But they they continued that and they brought it back even when I was in college. So you know, especially around Christmas when everyone came back from college, that was just the spot to be was mm. you were at Shine Coffee, you know, and it was just so cool to grow up with that, too. You know, oh, that's awesome. What a nice culture. And then even at that time, was there it seemed like uh, like you were beautifully oblivious and naive uh, to other things happening just because the program you were in and the people you were around were so cool. But was there that hint of like, you know, what are you doing? You're a female, like, especially playing bass. Was that going on? Oh, yeah. I mean, I I had an amazing director. I had an amazing program. But at the same time, I think there were two elements. One, when it's so competitive of a program, just in the fact that, you know, there's so many levels you can grow through. There's always going to be that. There was like a time where I really felt that if a bus hit me, there'd be like four heavy bass players. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, I knew that. And I lived that in orchestra. I hated that feeling. But being a woman specifically, there was one year um, that was really hard. I had entered into the band in this unique situation that, yes, I was one of the youngest players, but my drummer was a female. My mm-hmm. pianist was a female. Like, And that's what I thought it was always going to be like, mm-hmm. you know, where it was just there was no different way to come into that band room. You just came into play and mm-hmm. you had to know your stuff and you had to be perfect. And that was so that you could make music. Like we knew that at that age, I was like 14, like mm-hmm. 13 or 14, I knew that. But then the following year, the rhythm section flipped because they graduated and it was all male. Mm-hmm. And that was the hardest year of adaption. Um, I really learned at a young age that there was just a different way of of what it means to be in a boy club. And I, I didn't know what that meant until I went through it. Mm-hmm. And I. I think that there was a moment where I really was like, do I not belong here? Mm. You know, and I, I had the playing skills. I had the, I think I had everything musically down at that time that I needed, but I was missing that social aspect. I I felt left out at times, Mm -hmm. you know, I, out of their jokes or out of, you know, they were not only was I a woman, but they were also three years older than me. (laughs) Like it's different. Yeah. Yeah. And were you able to, be somewhat of a mentor like were there other like younger females that you were able to kind of help out I was lucky in the fact and actually one of the pictures behind me is just this trio of of women we were all the same age one of which I actually played with from middle school she was the pianist from middle school 
the other one came our freshman year playing trumpet and that was just like the trio that kept me going you know it just as the men had their stuff again we're in high school too so there's a different behavior just in general but as the men would do their thing, so would we, very female. You know, you would mm-hmm. start band by always all walking to the restroom together. Why that's a high school girl thing, I don't know. But, you know, that's what we did. Yeah. And we always did that before band started. Like, you just knew the three girls were going to walk off and then come back and warm up, you know? like. <laughs> but that was like a community that we made. And I think by the time I became a senior in high school, uh, I was able to kind of put that behind me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really had to find it in myself to move forward and just know that that was a situation that was going to happen regardless, but they were all seniors and they were going to graduate and life was going to move on. And yeah, my senior year band after going through that was just a bunch of friends. And it showed me the other side too, that, you know, if you, you can build a community within a band and it doesn't have to be, doesn't matter what gender anyone is, but, you know, I think that that was also a, a big moment you know, that I needed was to go through a senior year of these are all my friends, you know, because especially at that time, all of them had moved up. The people in my year were finally in the top band. Mm-hmm. And so I think that helped, too, you know. Yeah. And it's it's also cool to learn camaraderie like through a big band, too, as opposed to just a, like a jazz trio or, or a small combo or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when the trombonist is so close to you that you could like hit his shoulder, you know, like you have to be able to turn and talk to them too. And, you know, I think uh, also it was just a year where it was unique in the fact that, you know, they're all doctors. I'm not going to lie. I'm the two of us went on to do music. Like Mm -hmm. they're all biochem engineers and, you know, my, it's insane that they made it to that level of musicianship. And Mm -hmm. then they all went off to go cure cancer, you know, whatever. But, um, but I think because of that, too, that feeling that I felt when I was younger of like, I'm if I got hit by a bus, mm-hmm. there'd be a bunch of happy people. Instead, that year was just like, we're just going to listen to what our director say and, uh, said and have the ultimate trust in each other and in him. And I think that's why also that year we were very successful musically. It was just mm-hmm. because there was a true like love in that band. You know, there was not one player that was ostracized or made fun of or went through the high school things. Yeah, it was yeah. just... It was like my first experience to like, okay, there is another side to being in a band and it, it goes out of high school, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that was really important to see. Yeah. Yeah. To see an experience. Um, so then you went to, did you start at uh, University of Las Vegas? No, I actually, I went to the university my dad taught at for my undergrad. I went to Sacramento State. Uh, so I did that for four years as a and classical then, bass major or jazz i was i was crazy i i double majored oh that cool. was part of the reason i went there it was one of the rare programs that would let you do that um so i have a bachelor's of music and education with an emphasis in classical bass wow. and then i have a bachelor's in jazz bass performance okay so, so I, with that track in mind it w- is your end goal to be an educator or was that just like let me just do this and I, I think there were two sides. One, I mean, it's hard to grow up with a music educator as a father and always know that there's a reality of, you know, if you have a degree, it really only sits on your wall if it's not an education degree. You know, that that at least ensures a job so that if you need to, you can have that backup plan or your main plan. Mm-hmm. So that was a part of it. Also, I just because of so Folsom in general as a program 
you're made to do the classical side too. Mm -hmm. You're going to play in orchestra. You're going to play in jazz band. You're going to back up the jazz choir. You're going to play in combos. You're just going to be in music. I played in marching band. You know, I stood on the 50 yard line with an electric bass. Like that's just what you did. So I never really disseminated any type of music. So when I got to college, it was really hard for me to say I only want to study this one side of music. Mm -hmm. And I think as a bassist, I had never really gotten to take lessons um, I, I had a few here and there with a great jazz player in town. Um, and he taught me like Samandal, thank God, cause I, my hand was a mess. It was like cello meets bass and something in the middle. And so that kind of showed me too, that I needed this technical facility that I had on cello. Cause I continued cello actually through high school. Mm. And so I think it was important for me. I realized even at that age that I needed to be studying as much as I could. And so the fact I could study with two different teachers at the mm -hmm. same time, that really inspired me of like, this is just music and I just need to be able to play whatever is expected of me. Mm -hmm. it, while you were in Sacramento, uh, I know that that's not far from Folsom. No, it's like a 10 or I guess 20 minute drive. Oh, okay. yeah. So, but where are there other music acts coming into town into Sacramento that you said, so were you able to go see live music? Yeah, well, Sacramento is a really unique area. You're like an hour and a half away from San Francisco. So you could go to Yoshi's like that's where I saw Ron Carter live my first time. That was just too cool. You know, it was like his trio of him and guitar and mm -hmm. piano, like the coolest. And you could also go to Reno. Mm -hmm. And then you have Sacramento, which is kind of odd. It is the capital. People think it's mm -hmm. L.A., <laughs> but it is the capital of California. And there's a lot of acts that come through this tiny little area. So, um, yeah, I got to see almost all the major big bands in their ghost version, right? Like mm -hmm. the Basie ghost and the, the Ellington ghost. And of course, being in the university always brings in guest artists yeah. too. And so, you know, it, it just became a unique experience for me. And that's why I think I stayed in school this whole time is, uh, it was my way to meet guest artists, play with guest artists and then see them play. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's so unique, you know, um, and I got to see Esperanza Spalding came in and played. I mean, it was just for a town that's not too large, but is a capital, but isn't really seen as it's just the weirdest town. A lot of acts come through and of again, of such a caliber of music from like Tower of Power to, you know, I don't know, Justin Bieber to yeah. whatever. They all come through there. And uh, yeah, it was really cool to experience that. Yeah. Uh, and so then... You did your, your dual major, your double degree, and yeah. uh, then you went on to do your master's. Yeah, I I ditched on the certification process of being a teacher. So in California, you have to graduate with your bachelor's before you can actually enter to get your credential. And I told myself and my father, if I get a great graduate assistantship, then I'll go off. If I get, if I don't, I knew at that age I had a great mentor, Steve Roach, who really told me, like, you'd never pay for grad school. Do not ever pay for grad school. Grad mm -hmm. school pays you. And I was like, okay. So I figured if I didn't get a good assistantship, then I would go uh, I'd go through the credential program and finish out my, my degree. Because I, I graduated with a bachelor's, but I didn't mm -hmm. have the certificate. And um, just the, You just take the test, right? Well, I so I took the test. You have to go to student teaching. So that's oh, what yeah, I technically yeah, yeah. didn't do. Is yeah, I hours in. Yeah. exactly exactly. And so and that, it just, whoa, that CS yeah. test for music ed is tough because my husband 
he did it in Massachusetts, but then he had to do it for out here. And it was like way harder because he, he was having to do like, like almost calculus. And yeah, it was Seabest was like SAT on steroids. Yeah. And I was really glad I, you know, growing up in a family full of academics. I mean, my, my grandparents were principals. Everyone in my family is a teacher right now. It's just odd. My brother-in-law, my sister, my mom, my dad, it's wild. And so I had this insight, at least, and uh, they had told me, like, take the CBEST as soon as you can. Yeah. Well, so I took fresh. it like as a sophomore in college. And thank God, because I can't do math anymore. Yeah. You know, like, I don't even know. I I don't. At one point I was in calculus and I don't know how I ever got there. You know, like. Yeah. and so that test, though, is it's gnarly. I mean, it's just wild what, what you're expected to know as a teacher. And you're going to go teach music, but you yeah. got to know your science, too. And. I mean, it's it's humbling to to know what teachers, you know, go through. And so I passed that. But I just wasn't I was excited to teach. I, I fell in love with teaching. I've always I've had a studio since I was a sophomore in high school just because there was a rarity of teachers. And I was I was so cheap. You know, I think, mm-hmm. again, recession, everyone was like, all right, let's just, you know, this is cool. Um, but having a band and everything was really something I fell in love with. Mm-hmm. And that was what made UNLV so special. The graduate assistantship made it to where um, I had full tuition paid for. I was paid a stipend and I got to run the third jazz band. I got to run a combo, which I turned into a Jerry Allen Memorial combo. Um, I got to teach jazz appreciation. So history for non-majors. And I got to teach private students, mm-hmm. um, those who were like the non-majors or majors. Yeah. And um that was so lucrative. I mean, any program that allows you to do that, it's just wild. And I'm the professor of record for those classes, which is also another rare thing. Sorry, my dog is like hiccuping in the background. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, it was just one of those opportunities that I knew was more in the direction I wanted to go into. Yeah, you're basically a teacher and, you know, studying at the same time. And it's, was it a heavy workload for you then? I think it's all, uh, grad school is so odd to describe to people. It's you forget you're a student, you know, you have like two classes at night. Yeah. Uh, I hated and, that. Yeah. I like to go to bed early. I was going to say, I, I, it's wild. Like you, you don't know how to describe yourself and people like, I remember you go to like the DMV or something and they ask you what's your job and you're like, Oh, I'm a graduate assistant. It's like, so what do you do? Well, I'm a teacher, but I am a student, but I, <laughs> and I, I think it's always like that. So yeah, the workload's heavy, but if you pick the right path, it's a fun workload. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, I don't ever, I don't regret it. And I love the fact that there's so much time to practice and, yeah. you know, and all you're doing is just doing what you love. Like there's nothing else True. than, you know, and it makes it to where I don't realize how much I do, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cause it is yeah. kind of just your job. And so was that a, another classical bass major with jazz major? My master's is in jazz studies, but I studied with both teachers still. So I took lessons. I kind of jumped around a lot in my master's. I took lessons with the jazz-based teacher, the classical-based teacher. I took lessons in improv with Adam Schroeder. Um, I took comp lessons during my DMA. I mean, I just, it's like an open book. You know, it's you get to pick and choose what you want to go into. And I think that's what makes grad studies even more exciting. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah. now you're currently <laughs> getting your doctorate. Yeah. Or what um, do they call it? Your doctoral candidate. Yeah, it's a doctoral of musical arts. And yeah, once you finish like coursework and massive tests, then you're you're finally a candidate. 
and uh, yeah, it's it's a big final step uh, mm -hmm. here. Yeah, and so. how you're almost done, right? Yeah, it's like two semesters left, which is really exciting. And yeah. So how has um, I'm I'm just interested. I know we talked a little bit, but being in school. I mean, you're still in school, even though it's it's just a different thing when you yeah. when you what you're doing. But how has it been during COVID? I mean, it's almost been a year. Yeah. This, and it's been a maybe a different, could be better, it could be worse experience if it wasn't, you know, bulk of things are online. But like, what's your what's your takeaway so far? Yeah, I mean, it's, there's a saying that at UNLV, we, we say a lot, um, I think because Schroeder was with Clark Terry, which was keep on keeping on. Mm -hmm. And that's been my motto for distance learning. I mean, it's intense in the fact that it feels like it never stops. You know, I've been in school long enough that I know semester should go. It, it's a little slow, pace picks up, hit midterms, it's a peak, and then you kind of slow it back mm -hmm. down, and then it picks up again right before finals, and then it, there's an off. This was like, we're going to hit the ground running, and then you're going to sprint for like 14 weeks, and then the last week you're just going to dead run and like fall across the finish line. Mm -hmm. Like It was intense, and it took adjustment on so many levels. I think, especially as a musician the practice room can become a place that you know you need to go to. And once you walk in that room, as I'm sure you know well, you can space out in a sense. Mm -hmm. you, you can kind of, there's your, I don't want to call it a safe spot, but in a way it is, you know, yeah. and you're in there and, and you can separate distractions. You can really get in the zone in a sense and just that's gone. Yeah. You know, where you work True. is where you sleep, where you practice is where you work, where yeah, you... It's, it's kind of like uh, people who have any job and, you know, their boss will call them on Saturday night or text them or something. And it's like, nope, it's nine to five, Monday through Friday. Don't call, don't text. And I yeah. think that uh, maybe some teachers put like a, a tremendous amount of workload on their students because maybe they felt it was easier or like, oh, now you have all this time. Uh, why don't you like write a paper on this? Um, go go work on this concerto, transcribe this. Hey, let's next week. Let's get it all done, right? Yeah, it's. I think one of the beautiful things I would say about distance learning is just like, well, I, I got to study with you. I mean, the the odds of that were so small prior to this, and and that comes, you know, that's available really for everyone in this sense are putting so much information out there mm -hmm. that even though it's overload right now that's going to be amazing to look back on mm -hmm. you know the fact you can watch like jacob coley or hang with someone and talk about chordal structure yeah. dang you know that's into someone's head that we would have never had insight into possibly mm -hmm. and i think distance learning if you do it right it can go the same way if you kind of learn I've really learned three elements to survival. <laughs> okay. Literally. The first is like reset standards or expectations. I think the the worst saying that comes is, well, last year I did. The beautiful thing about a national health crisis is everyone's going through it together. Mm -hmm. And I had to really learn that is that my teachers are going through the same thing. My professors, though, they may seem evil at times with the amount of work they're putting on yeah. me. If I just send them an email and say, hey, I got this much done. Yeah. Then their response was always like, that's awesome. They never mm -hmm. were like, well, where's the other half? Like never once did yeah. one professor. And so I learned that, that, that even if with like practicing, if you get in one hour, own it, 
Like, that's your hour. You got it in. In the midst of all of this wildness, you got in an hour. Yeah. That is awesome. That is better than if you hadn't touched it. Don't think about, well, last year I was practicing four hours. Who cares? Like, it's different. And so that's the first thing is, like, adjust those expectations. And then the second thing is really to set a schedule. You know, when I went to do my master's, I was going to live alone. And that was, like, my big, like... I'm old now. <laughs> I'm not in my undergrad. I don't want a roommate. And uh, I read this thing of how to not get lonely because I'm really gregarious. Mm -hmm. And it said, set a schedule. Then your brain doesn't really process. There's no one here. Yeah. I, what do I do? So the same thing goes with this time and treat it like a class. Like I'm going to practice one to two. Cool. I'm going to practice one to two. Mm -hmm. You know, like, and if I don't, I don't know, I'll mark my attendance off. You know, give yourself at least something that holds you to that account. And then the last thing is reward yourself. You know, every week on Friday or Saturday, I go hiking. Mm -hmm. It just gets me out of this element. It sends me somewhere away from my house, away from working, playing, yeah. you know, everything in between. And that's how you kind of succeed through this. And then find those positive outlets when you're ready of like reaching out to, I don't know, your favorite player and asking, you know, hey, you down for a lesson or yeah. check them out on YouTube or podcasts or you know take that information in slowly or take notes so later on you can be like hey that was something they did and I want to check that out when I'm ready for it totally well I mean I think you're doing a fantastic job uh I mean you put out it the amount of hours that it took you to do your recital I don't know <laughs> what what would you call that recital like the yeah like your doctor, it wasn't like your official final recital, but let's just say the, mid the midway point or something. But yeah, you had to do that all distanced. Uh, only one thing wasn't, but normally you're like you might record your recital, right? If it's live, you might you maybe like put a camera up, but you yeah. had to with the pieces where there was more than you know two people, you were had to record everything separately, video, and then you edited everything. And yeah, it, like it took you like 100 hours to do that, right? Yeah, so 50 minutes of music probably took 100 and plus hours. I, I'm scared to ever tally it up. <laughs> but, <laughs> you, know, I, you know, like the plus side is, and I think a lot of people too, like you learned a massive new skill. Uh, I mean, I'd encourage anyone just to try it. It's so rewarding at the end. You know, it's kind of like when I double majored. I was told a lot to not think about it. You're going to hate yourself now. And you're going to love yourself in a few years and not remember the pain. And I thought at that time that was the most naive statement that could ever be told to me. But actually, that turned out to be the best thing. And it's so true to even this recital. I learned how to create a MIDI track mm -hmm. and a click track and how to work with audio files that are recorded from an iPhone. Mm -hmm. And then there's wild things that happened in between that. I had players exposed to COVID that you know set back recording i had players disappear off the face of the earth and it was like uh okay you know yeah. you don't see them in the hallway you can't grab them by the shoulder and be like are you still okay for this yeah so you you know it's an adjustment and i learned how to create video and although i didn't have all the right equipment i, I really learned how to bootleg at its finest mm -hmm. and it was like transcribing i would watch a video and be like i really like that element let's just yeah. see how to do it you know and well, I'm sure if you, like, yeah. was it a little tough for you too? Because again, like when you're doing a live recital or a performance, it that's it, right? Yeah. And so when you're going to record it, uh, you have the opportunity to stop, start, you know, 
maybe not like patch something in, but even just like, let me do take after take after take. I mean, I'm going to be honest. My anxiety was so high in the fact that I truly thought that my committee, so when you, when you do a doctoral recital, what is very different when you're in grad studies is you have a panel of people who decide whether or not you pass undergrad. Your teacher is like, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> Hey, you know, <laughs> and that's, that's truly who decides that process in, especially in your DMA. It's a, it's a panel of people who are specialists. And I really thought like they would stop the video and rewind and be like, yeah, yeah, that was out of tune. And I also knew they had access to do that. And I think there's a part of me that was a little paranoid in the fact that sometimes crazy things would happen. You know, the video would get off audio. It's yeah. two separate elements. And I, I swore, I was like, they're going to think I cheated. Yeah. You know? And, and then there's the other side of that. It's like, um, one of the, the cellist I work with who ironically was my teacher when I was young, um, to kind of come back around full circle, but she wanted perfection because she knew this was going to be on YouTube. She knew this was going to be recorded. She knew this was permanent. Yeah. And that really made me aware too. I was like, yeah, this is permanent. It's not like a live thing where, you know, whoever's in the audience is there and they're going to get the adrenaline rush of seeing live music. Uh, it can kind of cover some of the mistakes. So, yeah, I think that really played into it. And the recording, of course, you get really heightened too. Yeah. You're, as you know, like it's intense at times. You yes. really can, it's like an inner struggle with your inner voice, I guess. Well, I loved it. I mean, and if you're cool with it, oh, I'd thank love you. to put a link down. Link to yeah, it. please check it out. Yeah, it's it's different. It's like classical jazz. It's Modern. music. Yeah, I loved it. There was a really <laughs> yeah. cool thing um well cool molly this was a lot of fun to catch up about yeah. this i i don't know if you again if you want to be a teacher or, or what your goal is but you you already are a teacher but you'll make a great teacher oh thanks katie well i have a great mentor oh dear oh and a fantastic player as well um well cool thank you go say hi to lilo my cat's right behind me pounding on my butt so <laughs> yeah cool thanks <laughs> molly thanks katie bye I'd like to talk about how you came to the base because it's pretty interesting. Everyone has such a different story. And I find more and more people are coming to the base like later in life. I mean, later, like they're not starting as a four-year-old like you would violin. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes perfect sense, of course, you know, with a big instrument like the bass. Yeah. But it's it's funny that it's always through something else. Like no, not a lot of people just start with the bass. Yeah. As uh, Yeah, that's funny. Um, yeah, I know for me, so I, um, I did a lot of different instruments, uh, tried a lot, yeah, tried a lot of stuff out. Um, and for me, the guitar stuck for a long time and, uh, I played a lot of these, like these finger style, Western folky things, um, singer songwriter stuff and this kind of, uh, this kind of things. And then I started also getting into the mandolin through Christili. Uh, Christili from the Punch Brothers, and then uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of him. And then I saw a video with him and Edgar Mayer. Um, and yeah, then I thought, hey, that's <laughs> actually also kind of cool. This double bass. It's yeah. this. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, do you know his project? Oh yeah, uh, of course. They do together. Yeah. This, this video in 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 like. Um, uh, in the middle of nature, you see these mountains in the background. You should yeah. check it out. It's really, uh, really yeah. great. I, I don't. I um. I think that was. 
it wasn't with Chris Steely, but um, the Edgar Meyer has a group with. I love him because he so he collaborates with so many people. But this was, I think, the best concert I've ever seen live in my life was with Edgar Meyer. Um, uh, who's the banjo player? Oh my gosh, I'm blanking. Bela Fleck. Yes. Bela yeah, Fleck. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then the tabla player from India, Zakir Hussain. And, and an Indian, um, I, I will never be able to pronounce this name, even if I learned. And, and an Indian flute player who played a wooden flute. And it was just the most amazing concert I've ever seen because, and, and you're just like, you know, things are like in different time signatures going by and everyone's like, I had no idea what, I think I loved it so much because I had like no idea what was happening and it was just like music at its highest level. It was incredible. Yeah, but I think with so many of these and this sort of, um, how do you say that? Like it, it's sort of a, almost a friend group or something. Yeah. That's kind of how I see, you know, with the Chris Tilly, uh, Edgar Mayer, Yo-Yo Ma, these kinds of, oh, yeah. Brett Mildow, these kinds of people. Oh my God. I saw uh, Chris Tilly with Brett Mildow in, uh, mm-hmm. in Amsterdam. Um, a few years, oh my god, that was that was the most amazing concert I saw. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I mean, we're gonna talk about you. Don't worry. But um, the oh, first no. time I saw, I've only seen Agermeyer, I think two times. But the first time I saw him was the first. I think I was like fourteen or fifteen, and it was the first time I ever saw like a bass concert. And there was uh-huh. like, and it was in like a concert hall, so it was crazy that maybe like two thousand people were there. And, um, there was no program and he had a piano accompanist and he could just, it, you could almost be in the audience, like request, you know, any sonata or concerto. And he was just like, Oh, I th- I'm going to, maybe I'll do this one now. And there was no music. So it was like the first time I experienced that, like in a classical setting for sure. Like, Oh, there's no music. There's not even a program and he can do whatever he wants. He's just, yeah, yeah something yeah. to strive for. He's incredible. Yeah, 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 fantastic. Yeah, I've never seen him live, actually. But uh, if he's around, I'll definitely will. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so you <laughs> found you found the bass by way of guitar and mandolin. Yes. Yeah. And did you study? Because uh, you have you have great technique. So were you studying classical music when you found the bass? <laughs> Not really. Yeah, like a little bit of Simondo. Um I, I mean, I played a few classical things. But uh, yeah, no, not really. Actually, um, was jazz really quickly? Yeah, you uh, just got right into it. Yeah, I got into the the junior jazz college, which is which is like a preparatory kind of uh, thing. But you can also do this in this in high school. Like in the Netherlands, music and school is not really the same. I think as in the United States, where you have these bands in yeah. in school. That's, you don't really have that. So everything you have with music is usually, there are a few schools that do this, but usually it's it's really separate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this junior jazz college was like kind of the equivalent, I guess. And in this, I uh, I got into uh, in jazz. So I started maybe, I played maybe for a few months and I, it, because I mean, there were no bass players. So. Yeah. <laughs> I know, that's, that's how a lot of people get yes. into bass, yeah. That's how, yeah, that's how it works. And um, yeah. I guess when, you, when you're getting into jazz, um, like what reference did you have at that point? Because again, you're in the Netherlands. And I know people now come through and play music, but had you, was there like a certain recording or was it just like an opportunity? 
Yeah, no, uh, I had one lesson with um, the main subject teacher at the school, Philippe Arts, at that time. He's not in the school anymore. Um, but he said, we get requests. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's where, it, where, that's where it started. And um, solar energy as well. Both oh, cool. Really well. Uh, so that's, that's where it started, I guess, with jazz. Uh, and it's funny, actually, because I don't really know how it happened that jazz became the main thing. It, it's like it just instantly switched or something. Uh-huh. I mean, it was, there was also always something of the the stuff I was I used to be really into, this folk stuff. But as soon as jazz came into my life, I guess it was right away sort of the, the leading. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, like sonically, it's an easy crossover, especially from like the more folk, like simple music. Yeah. Depending on what you listen to, like, I mean, speaking of Brad Meldo, that's someone who can play a, a simple song so beautifully. And that's why I think so many people, not just musicians, enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah. And the blues. Yeah. I think that's actually, a, that was actually a big part of the, the, why the sort of the, the change was mm. so, because I was playing, like I had a little looper and I was playing with myself with the looper. I just played like the form of the blues and then started, you know, on the guitar, started mm. to, to improvise. So I guess, uh, I guess this, yeah, this, this link was pretty valuable. I think, yeah, I was already into blues. And were <laughs> other people like, did you have friends like, Hey, let's, let's play together. Like when you were a teenager, like let's play blues or jazz. Well, before before the junior jazz college, not actually at the junior jazz college, this this happened. Um, but before, actually, I did have a band before, and we played Take Five. But I had no idea what time signatures were, <laughs> so I think we played four. I don't know exactly. I can't remember, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure we didn't play it in five. What was your own arrangement? Yeah, then? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And um. Funny. And so now you're, tell us where you're studying in the Netherlands. Or wait, is it in the Netherlands? Yeah, so yeah. it is in the Netherlands. Yeah, it's it, and right in the south of the country in Maastricht. Uh, it's great because it's it's in between Belgium, Germany, and, uh, and, and it's in the Netherlands. So you have a lot of international um, influences. Also, France is pretty close. You know, Belgium is mm-hmm. a small country. So... Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, it's great. Actually, this conservatory, we have a fantastic bass department with uh, John Goldsby, uh, John Goldsby and Matthias Nowak is actually also the, the main guy. Oh man. It's so cool actually also to see John now with the discover double bass. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's got a new thing it's, out. Yeah. No, but it's great because with the discover double bass, that's also sort of been with me, I guess, from the start of the bass, uh, well, that's Eventually. amazing. I know. Like, it's like, and I don't know so how old it is, maybe 10 years now or something. He's been doing yeah. that, Jeff Chalmers. Yeah, it's, yeah. he does but such so a great job. See John then, because you know him, and then it's like, you, yeah. you know, you're so proud. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so nice. I mean, John is like a huge uh, guy. So, yeah. I mean, it's maybe, like, yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's cool. So, you're studying in Maastricht. I butchered that pronunciation. But, uh, and what's the name of the school? Uh, the Conservatory of Maastricht. Oh, there we go. That's so, easy. It's a, it's a fairly small town, actually. So there's not, 
there are not multiple schools, music schools or something. Um, and it's a, yeah. Yeah, but it's great. It's like, I think I told you last time too, it's like the perfect size. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's not so big that the competition is really crazy. Yeah. Uh, and it, but it's small enough or it's big enough that there is, um, enough happening yeah. like it's it's just right um, is it the type you, of town like without before covid is the type of place where like every night of the week like maybe you're able to play like at, at a performance yeah spot? it's that kind almost, of vibe almost every night i think that's yeah. very cool yeah so that was that was really nice yeah it's a pity that's not happening anymore of course uh, but yeah yeah and i feel like you also with the conservatory, because it's not that big, also the conservatory is not that big. Mm -hmm. First of all, it's very international, uh, not just Belgian and German people, but also a lot uh, from everywhere. Mm -hmm. And it's great because they, they give you a lot of um, freedom. Like they give you a lot of space and you get to develop your own thing very early on. Um, like compared to some other schools where it's very clear, like the teacher wants you to do this, it isn't, this, and this. And in the end of the study, you, you know, a lot and you know, yeah. very, you know, you have a very sort of, uh, stable background, yeah, which can be really great, but then you start developing your own thing very late. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's what this school is different. I mean, I'm not saying the other approach is worse or something, but it's like, I, I really like this approach. Yeah. And yeah. you know, as long as like, you're keeping up your own, you know, in order to achieve a certain amount of creativity, it does help to have, you know, the technique and things like that. So of course, I think of we course. all, uh, I mean, I've been there, especially before, but it's kind of like, oh, okay, if I want to do this, I need to work on, you know, whatever scale or place to a certain tempo. But I, yeah. I, I get it. I get it too, because it's, um, it's kind of very uninspiring to be in a program where all the faculty cares about is, okay, can you play your scales? It's 16th notes yeah, and 20. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Oh, you can play a solo. I don't really care. Let's, you know, I just want to get that done. So that's, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Yeah. But also for example, so I'm, I'm studying bass now in the third year and voice in the first year. Uh, and this kind of arrangement, um, I, I mean, I haven't tried but I suspect that in a bigger school, this would not be as like easy to um, yeah, to be able to do this yeah. in a school. We have two subjects and to sort of balance this and the teachers know you and they know, uh, I, I don't know if you're busy or something. It's like, it's very sort of small enough, everybody, you have a really good close connection to your main subject teacher and, and this kind of stuff. So it's really great. Yeah. Okay, I love it. And I'd like to talk about, because um, you play bass and you sing as well. And I love your arrangements and I love <sighs> the repertoire you choose. So when did that start, like singing and playing bass for you? Yeah, I was thinking about this uh, also after our last conversation. <laughs> I think it was always a little bit um, there. I, I know I started doing it already in high school when I just started playing the bass, I, I guess it's, it's sort of the logical um, next step after singing and playing guitar mm -hmm. to then go singing and playing bass. Yeah. I, I guess that's, that's sort of how, it, how it went. Yeah. And it, it's not, like, I was, were you playing electric oh, yeah. bass or upright bass? No, upright bass from the start. 
Yeah. yeah. I think we yeah. talked about this before too. Like people think it's very strange to sing and play mm -hmm. upright or like strange and difficult. But then you think like there's a ton of great electric bass players that sing and play. Like, yeah. I mean, I love it's fun. Paul McCartney and like all those bass lines and you could see mm -hmm. like there was no faking it back then. Like you could see him playing and singing these bass lines and, um, and you know, people play piano and sing and guitar, but I don't know. Um, I mean, I'll take it. I mean, people are still like, oh my gosh, but, um, yeah, it just seems normal. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, I, I must say I am struggling with it. You know, it's like, it's, it's, it also doesn't feel the same as playing with guitar. Yeah. Uh, and I'm guessing this is to do with, you know, it's not, it's not, um, grips. How do you say this? Like with the guitar, you have just these grips and oh, then you like play the chord the and patterns, it's yeah. into, patterns, oh, it's, yeah. yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and with bass, it's sort of like a, um, a separate melody, but that's not different than the electric bass. Yeah. I guess. So it's like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Do you ever accompany other singers? A little bit sometimes, yeah, in school, yeah. Yeah. So, but that's that's funny, actually. Yeah. Yeah, isn't it? Because, because I'm always I I love doing it, and um, yeah. I always I really want to take care of them, and yeah. I think because you you know as a bass player and singing like, okay, I need to the octave makes a huge difference, like where you play something. It's like if someone asks yeah. for their first note, I'm not gonna play it way down yeah. the bass because yeah. even for myself, I it's it's hard to hear. Right. Yeah. 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 That's very true. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's great yeah. practice for, even if you don't sing and play bass, but to, to work with singers is like really, really helps your bass playing. Cause you have to, it's very, it's like, it's very sensitive. You have to really be paying attention. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a, I, I just started a, a, a duo project with my uh, main teacher actually with um, Sabina Cooley and we're doing, she's a singer. Mm -hmm. And and we're doing these also these bass and voice things, uh, yeah, that's great. Yeah. It's really great. Yeah. It's, but it also, if you do just bass and voice, like the the, the space you have, uh, you have to be really really solid. Yeah. Uh, to make this work. Yes. But that's yeah. yeah. Um. So I'd love to hear more from you about the songs you're doing, the projects you're working on. Um. Because we talked last time, I know like you took like an old German classical song, you you take some folk songs. What was the last thing you did at the recital? I loved that because it was like some like spoken word and not spoken word. It's almost like I rap. Just, the rap, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rap. <laughs> that was actually that was a, a, a um, how do you say this? Like a mix. How do you say this again? Two songs. Like a um, medley. Medley. Oh. Yeah, yeah, you could say. That. Um, it, it started with um, Scarlet Town. So this is a song by Gillian Welsh. Uh, Johnny Mitchell sang it too, but I know it mainly from the, the version from Kirstili, actually, and <laughs> Brett Mildow. So, <laughs> uh, And the second song is uh, a piece by the Punch Brothers, the band of Kirstili. Uh, I mean, I did do it. Like, it's not really a rap the way they do it. Um, but so I changed that up a little bit and I also wrote like another half of the lyrics, uh -huh. um, to make it a little bit more, uh, of a sort of, yeah, yeah just for the arrangement makes sense. Um, so yeah, actually I wrote that for a, a competition, uh, two years ago, 
which was great, which uh, I got second place. Uh, so that, yeah, that was really great. Uh, and I know you're working on this this other project that we've been talking about with the, the, the duo. The, the duo. Actually, yeah, that came kind of through this competition. Um, I got to know uh, Gary Lucas, uh, who is um, he's known for his work with uh, Jeff Buckley and um, Captain Beefheart. Is a guitar player, and yeah, we we made a actually we made a, an album or we recorded an album. The album is not finished. Um, in October, actually, so not that long ago, mm-hmm. he managed to to go here. Uh, when it was still possible and he left right at the right time let's say. <laughs> um, yeah so that's very experimental uh, thing I wrote some I wrote some stuff for it uh, we did a lot of these songs that are sort of um, from my past let's say so from where I came from um mm-hmm. So this singer-songwriter stuff, but also yeah. we did this Schubert uh, song, yeah, uh, which was like I don't know why I like. I mean, I really love it, but it's like um, I, I wanted to do it because it was one of the first songs I ever did in public for somebody, mm-hmm. and I just thought it would be like a fun idea to put that song uh, on an album. Well, yeah, and a, that's when you when you share uh, music that you love. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's more meaningful, it, even if someone if they like it or not. It you can tell like when someone puts music out there and they're just like, oh, maybe they th- maybe they think people are gonna like this. But I I always find it, it's like you can really tell like, oh man, it's not my cup of tea. But I they I can tell they really like this. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, yeah, I think it's cool if you really do it because you like the music. Yeah, yeah, and but it it, it does also get interesting because. Um, in a duo project you're not alone so what i like might be different you know what what he likes so i prepared a lot of this stuff for example for this duo project and then he came in and he changed like half of it which is mm. cool he has a uh, definitely more than equal equal share in uh in the artistic pro- like the the progress of the uh of the project yeah uh but yeah you can hear that it's really yeah it's really interesting thing I, yeah, I can't wait to hear it. Do you have an idea when it's gonna be finished? Yeah, the the problem is um, that we're, we're in the middle of editing and, and mixing, and our editor is uh, has to homeschool too. Mm-hmm. You know, so okay. he's he's his kids, and like the pro- the progress is really slow, and also we're not really um uh what how do you say it? Uh, it doesn't have to be finished right now because we want gigs with it uh yeah so it will i i'm guessing it will really take some time if it's if it's this summer it's kind of early if you ask me Mm -hmm. it's uh you can always tease tease everybody with a little just a little bit yeah i'm going to i'm going (laughs) well i have i have one more question for you peter um what's what's your goal right now like I know that changes all the time, but like after you finish school, like what, what is it that you really are working towards? Um, well, I mean, so the, the, the singing and bass playing is the, uh, in the, like the long term, really what I want to get good at, like as a, how do you say that as a specialty or, 
uh, and, and basically kind of what what you do is is the goal uh to just have my own projects with this to play all over the place with this to teach as well uh, to whatever uh comes up but mainly to do the uh, singing and bass playing um, and just tour perform record just, yeah. and for me personally i just want to get good at this oh. <laughs> you know just i just want to get better with this so right now that's the goal like the coming uh years um i mean it will take longer than a few years but you know what i mean like studying is right now the yeah the focus i would say and well, you're, then yeah already good and uh, nah. i mean the hope is and even like we always just hope every time it's just better and better you know each time yeah, yeah. well fabulous yeah, well, enough to work on definitely oh. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah. peter thank you for for take two this was uh great great to speak with you again no problem no problem yeah i like it yeah okay <laughs> and um accidentally and then we can speak again yes exactly and um <laughs> i'll put at least your your instagram down below because you've got i know you've got music on there and uh um, people will be looking out for your new record yes oh and i fit too you can do that too if you on want. facebook yeah okay i have a uh, like a, a, a page, not the pro the personal thing. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Great. Well, thanks so right. much, Peter. I appreciate it. Okay, go back to curfew. Me? I'm still here. Yeah. I'm still inside. Yeah, we have proof. <laughs> All right, wonderful. Well, thanks, Peter. Bye. Bye-bye. Yeah. Thank you so much.